Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of Allentown's Sermon Podcast. As we approach God's Word, let's take a prayerful breath. Breathe in. Breathe out. Listen to God's Word this day. Our first scripture reading comes from the book of Amos, chapter 5. Alas for you who desire the day of the Lord. Why do you want the day of the Lord? It is darkness, not light. <clears throat> As if someone had fled from a lion and was smet by a bear, or went into the house and rested a hand against the wall and was bitten by a snake. Is not the day of the Lord darkness, not light, and gloom with no brightness in it? I have, I despise your festivals, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the offerings of well-being of your fatted animals, I will not look upon. Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the melody of your harps, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. And then from the Gospel of Matthew, this parable at the beginning of chapter 25 on page 28. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like this. Ten bridesmaids took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. When the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, all of them became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a shout, look, look, here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those bridesmaids got up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. But the wise replied, no, there will not be enough for you and for us. So you better go to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. And while they went to buy it, the bridegroom came and those who were ready went with him into the wedding banquet and the door was shut. Later the other bridesmaids came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he replied, truly I tell you, I do not know you. Keep awake therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I have a confession to make. I've been preaching now for 34 years, and in all that time, I've never preached on the parable I just read in Matthew. Not because it doesn't come up in the lectionary that I've often followed, because it does, not once but twice every three years. No, I haven't preached on this parable because I really never have liked it. It bothers me. But this week, as I considered what to preach on, I got a distinct nudge from God. I came across a phrase in a Bible commentary, and it suddenly felt like sort of the daily double on Jeopardy, like a direct message from God to me. The phrase, what are you waiting for? What I heard God saying was, okay, Carter, it's time to stop ducking this parable. Let us pray. Oh Lord, we give you thanks that of all the audacious things your spirit can speak through these human words. And so we pray that it might be and that we might indeed hear the word you want to hear this day. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So up front, let me say there are two things that especially bother me about this parable. First, if you were telling the parable, wouldn't you have the five maidens who have enough oils share it? I mean, isn't that what we're about? Disciples sharing with each other? Isn't that what we're about as a community of faith? We want to share each other's joys and burdens. Then why are the women who hold on to their oil the ones that Jesus commends? Second, what the bridegroom does when he finally returns home bothers me. Presumably he's been married at his wife's home, it was often the case, or he's traveled to his future wife's home to work out the final details of the dowry, which was the last obstacle before getting married. Either way, he's come home. It's a joyous celebration. The party can begin. That's why these bridesmaids have their lamps lit to welcome him. But instead of being in a joyful mood, when the five so-called foolish bridemaids show up late, he sounds angry and harsh. He shuts the door on them and tells them, truly, I don't know you. Is this bridegroom meant to represent Jesus? And where is the grace of the Jesus who talks about prodigal fathers and sons or goes out welcoming lost sheep? and eats with prostitutes and tax collectors. What is Jesus trying to tell us here? I imagine that most of you have heard through the years Harry Chapin's song, Cats in the Cradle. It's a haunting series of conversations of a father and son through the years. Early in the song, the son asked to do something with his father. The father is too busy, and so he turns him away, but he promises. We'll get together then. You know we'll have a good time then. Then later, the son gets older, gets his license, goes off to college, gets a job, moves, and has a family. Now it is the father who hopes to get together with the son, and now it is the son who is too busy. But like father, like son, the son promises, we'll get together then, Dad. We'll have a good time then. Like that father and that son, we often like to think of the future as an endless horizon, always offering an opportunity to get together then. But in this life, Jesus wants to know, the horizon is never really endless. Early at our tenure at the church in Pottstown, we started a planned giving program, and as part of it, we had an attorney who volunteered his time and come, came in for three sessions on Sunday afternoon to talk about wills and estates and the necessity, and of course, encourage folks to include the church in their wills. There was one person, besides me, who attended all three of those sessions. A man in his 70s, active in the church's ministry, active in the community, responsible, elected treasurer for the township multiple times. He came to all three sessions. Six months after the sessions ended, he died without a will, making his wife's life that much harder, as well as that of his children. In a recent National Geographic article, Rachel Fairbanks writes, after giving up alcohol, changes will start to take effect within weeks. 
This includes in the liver, which can start to reverse the damage done in most of the four stages of alcohol-related liver disease, which starts with the accumulation of fat, then progression to chronic inflammation, which leads to scarring and ultimately results in cirrhosis. The liver has an enormous regenerative capacity. The first three stages are reversible. But once the drinker's liver reaches the fourth stage, cirrhosis, the damage is irreversible. Sometimes in life, the door really closes. Sometimes the lock bolt does click into place. Several years ago, Carrie and I got a call. It was a couple who had been good friends with us in another city when we were all starting out together in our professional careers and with our families and young children. We had moved when I went from law into the ministry and we lost contact except for those annual Christmas letters. Carrie and I were really excited to hear from them and we really looked forward to rekindling the friendship. And so we met for dinner on a Saturday night halfway between our two cities. But then in the course of the dinner conversation, it became clear that the dinner invitation was really a desperate plea by one of them for their two minister friends to save their marriage. But was also clear was that there had been too many years of neglect of the relationship, too little effort to address things before and now, no longer was there really the energy to repair and rebuild the relationship. Two middle-aged sisters were no longer in touch. It had not always been that way, but there had been words at a holiday celebration that neither sister could take back and neither sister could forgive. The exchanges of anger and resentment continued in volleys back and forth until the sisters stopped talking stopped visiting each other, stopped communicating at all. No longer did they gather at the holidays, no longer did they gather at all. And the breakup took a life of its own year after year. But then one sister decided it was time to bury the hatchet and start anew because they weren't getting any younger. So she got up the courage to reach out to her sister by email only to hear from her sister's son that her sister was in the final stages of losing her battle with cancer and was mostly sleeping now. And when she woke up, she did not recognize even her children. Jesus wants us to know that sometimes there is no we to get together then. The door can close on having a good time then. Perhaps one reason that this parable makes us uncomfortable is that it asks us uncomfortable questions. Is there something that we've put off doing that we should do now? And I'm not talking about a closet to be cleaned out or your book collection to be alphabetized. No, I'm talking about more important stuff. Is there someone we should contact? Some friendship we should rekindle? some apology we should make, some grudge we should let go of? Are we being called to finally step off the sidelines and step into some ministry or cause to offer our times, our gifts, or our money? 
Perhaps Jesus is telling us that the foolish bridesmaids cannot borrow oil from the others because there are some things we cannot borrow. We cannot borrow someone else's character. We cannot borrow someone else's marriage. And there are some things that no one can do for us. Someone can't stop drinking for us. Someone cannot apologize or forgive another for us. That's something that only we can do for ourselves. What are you waiting for? Whatever it is we need to do, we need to do it now, not later, Jesus is telling us through this parable. As the poet John Greenleaf Whittier once wrote, for all sad words of tongue or pen, the saddest are these, it might have been. Sometimes the door does close for good. And sometimes the bridegroom is delayed. One of the issues for Matthew's readers, for the early church, is that a lot of people in that early church expected Jesus' second coming to be something they would see in their lifetimes. And when that did not happen, the light of their faith dimmed. No longer were they letting their light shine before all as Jesus had commanded earlier in the Sermon on the Mount. This parable reminds us that faith needs to go the distance and not just be a flash in the pan. The problem is not that some of these bridemaids fall asleep. No, when you look at it, all 10 fall asleep. No, the problem was, is that, the, was that the foolish bridesmaids didn't go out and get extra oil. They're not prepared for the long haul. They're not prepared when the bridegroom doesn't meet their schedule. What Jesus is calling for in this parable is persistence in our faith. Persistence, but not perfection. Inevitably, we will get drowsy like all of these bridesmaids. There will be times when our faith is depleted, times when we fall short and our lives lose their glow, times when what we do and say no longer reflect the light of Christ to the world. The question is, what are we doing to replenish the oil, to replenish our resources, to replenish our faith? Are we taking time to pray and listen for God, not just when we feel close to God, but anytime? Are we coming to worship regularly, not just when our faith is burning bright, but especially when the oil is draining? Are we gathering with other Christians for fellowship and support? Are we serving others? These are all ways that we replenish the oil of our faith so that we have something extra when the waiting and delays and struggles come as they inevitably will. None of us have enough oil to last. To go the distance, we need to keep replenishing it. We need to be replenished by the one who is the source of the light we are called to bear. We keep our light shining in anticipation of the bridegroom's arrival, not just for a day, but day after day. As the poet Wendell Berry has said, whatever is foreseen in joy must be lived out from day to day. Vision held open in the dark by our 10,000 days of work. 
What are you waiting for? And are you ready for the waiting? Knowing that Jesus is asking us these two questions in the parable has really changed my view of it. But it's a third related question that has made even more difference. Not just what are we waiting for, but who are we waiting for? It's easy to forget that these bridemaids are not waiting for the return of someone they fear, a tax collector or a tyrannical master, for example. No, they're waiting on the bridegroom because then the party can begin. In the same way, it makes all the difference for us to remember who we're waiting for. I don't know if when Jesus told this parable, he meant the bridegroom to represent him. Scholars disagree on this, but I know that the one we are waiting for is a one who loves us deeply and infinitely. The one we are waiting for is not an IRS auditor, is not a take-no-prisoner boss. No, the one we are waiting is one who loves us so much that he thinks we're worth dying for. He loves us so much that he's not willing for us to remain the way we are, holding on to our sins, holding on to our fears, holding on to our grudges. He wants to make us new. Who are we waiting for? The one who shows up, not just at the end of history, not just at the end of our lives. No, he shows up here and now in the midst of history in the midst of our lives. Not too long ago, a longtime friend was enjoying retirement and wintering in Florida. When slow changes in her husband's moods and cognitive levels and physical energy suddenly accelerated. Almost overnight, it seemed, there was a rapid deterioration of his mobility and his cognitive condition. Suddenly, she knew that she needed to get back home and to their doctors back in in Pottstown as soon as possible. Far from them, all we could do, Carrie and I, was to pray for them as they got on an Amtrak train for a harrowing journey back home. Carrie did text her, the Lord is near to you. Look for him. Our friend would say later how helpful that reminder was. She was scared, but she looked for Christ along the route, and he began to show up. He showed up in the Amtrak attendants who took her husband to the bathroom because he could no longer stand on his own. He showed up in the friend who met them in the train and helped her convince a stubborn hospital, a stubborn husband, that it was time to go to the hospital and not go home. She spotted Christ's presence in the medical and housekeeping staff with their kindness and patience and skill. And she felt his presence when she gathered with her community of faith again and broke down and wept. The medical issue was an aggressive brain tumor. Surgery and chemo were the course of treatment, and they were in for a long journey. But that they would not face it alone, they knew in their heart of hearts. As Taylor shared with the children, much of life is waiting, but that does not mean that we just passively wait. No, there are actions to take, not then, 
but now. We need to be prepared to go the distance, prepared to seek extra oil so that our lights can shine no matter how long that wait is. But never forget, never forget, friends, that our waiting is never in vain. The Lord is near. He shows up. Look for him. Amen. Thank you for listening to First Presbyterian Church of Allentown's sermon podcast. We hope you'll join us for worship on Sunday morning. For more information about our congregation and our ministries, please contact the church office. Now go in peace.